Ascension Sunday is finally here. I'm so glad because the shopping malls and the traffic, the lines at Walmart, I mean, they've just been crazy, right? All this Ascension Day stuff that's been going on, all of the, the madness that comes along with Ascension Sunday. I mean, we will finally be able to get Ascension Day gifts and decorations at half price at Walgreens and CBS as they try to get rid of all of their decorations so that July 4th stuff could take its place. What? You haven't seen all the Ascension Day commercials? I guess you haven't, since there aren't any. You don't hear much about Ascension Day. In fact, I wonder, as you came to church today, did you know that it was Ascension Sunday? Did you know that this past week, churches all around the world recognized the ascension of Christ. We still don't hear about it much, do we? And because we don't hear about it much, we really don't think about it much. We don't talk about it. We don't think of its significance. It could really just kind of disappear from the church calendar, and we probably wouldn't notice, and we certainly wouldn't complain. It just doesn't rank up there with Christmas or Easter, or certainly Pentecost, which we will recognize this next Sunday. Eugene Peterson and Marva Dawn have pointed this out in their book, and I hate to even read the title, Unnecessary Pastor. Uh, yeah. Rediscovering the Call. Ascension Day is the perfect church holiday because the world can't steal it. The culture around us has quite ruined Christmas and Easter. Of course, the world owned Christmas as its festival for the restoration of the sun before the early Christians used it to disguise their celebration of Christ's birth. But the world has now stolen it for its consumeristic purposes and has seized Easter for the same idolatry. They write, uh, In my teen years, I played clarinet in the high school band for the town Christmas parade at which Santa Claus was flown in by helicopter. Pretty nice school, huh? Later, I heard they flew the bunny in for Easter. But the world hasn't got the foggiest notion what to do with someone flying out, right? We just don't know what to do with that. They're right, aren't they? We really just don't know what to do with the ascension of Jesus. In that, we are much like the disciples that gathered around Jesus that day that he took off for the heavens. With this one last resurrected appearance of Jesus. And for his very important final and going away remarks. As he would look at them and speak these words to them right before he would depart to go to his place at the right hand of the Father. These disciples, though, they were not just students of Jesus in the strictest sense of uh, a, a group of students following a teacher around and trying to learn as much as they possibly could, although they did do that. They were students, but they were not just students. They were friends. And as we sang a moment ago, I'm a friend of God. That's really how John describes himself all throughout the Gospel of John. He doesn't come out and say it directly, but he says, I am the friend, or he says, uh, you know, the friend of God, the one who was leaning against Christ, 
there in that Passover meal or all the other illustrations he uses as he points out that he was a friend of God. He was very proud of being Jesus' friend. But they were also family to Jesus. These guys really didn't have much going for them in terms of occupation, in terms of future, and even in terms of their own family. We read that, that Jesus spent his time on the road. He was out doing the things God had called him to do. And we see that he is often alone. Sometimes he has to get alone by himself so that he can have some peace of mind and he could pray and be alone with his Father. But certainly other times, like out in the wilderness, Jesus is going alone. And yet, as he would come together with these disciples, they would be his family. But these were the ones Jesus had poured his life into over the last several years of his life. Walking with them, talking with them, tolerating them, and loving them, even beyond their comprehension. In those years, they had received extensive training for what Jesus was now calling them to do. I mean, this was the first day of going out on their own to be disciples of Jesus Christ in their world, to be His body in the world as He was leaving it. They were to carry on His work of expanding the kingdom of God in the world. I love Evelyn's prayer for our offering because uh, she tied in with that, this idea that we continue the work of God in the world, not just with our offerings that we give to God, but with our hands and with our feet and with our gifts and everything that we have, we go and expand the kingdom of God in the world, and that's what they were to do. They seemed to understand their mission at this point, except for the part about the kingdom. They obviously thought that the kingdom of God that Jesus announced and introduced to them was something very different than what He had in mind. Their question but when will the kingdom of Israel be restored? This question is very telling, as Kyle pointed out before he read that scripture. This kingdom, when is it going to be restored? Yeah, we get that you're leaving, but what about down here? I mean, here is Jesus after being crucified, raised from the dead, and after appearing to people all over the area day after day ready now to depart from earth and take his seat at the right hand of the Father. And all they can do is ask a question like that? How could they miss the point? Jesus, showing patience just like he usually did with them, he told them of how it was not up to them to be concerned about dates and times, but to do the kingdom work that he had given them to do to go out in the power of the coming Holy Spirit's power, to be His witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world as they knew it. In other words, Jesus is saying to them, get busy, disciples. Enough of this standing around. Enough of this leaning on your shovels. Get out and do something. Get out and put all of that knowledge and all that experience and training, put it into practice as they stood there with their question, looking up to Jesus, as He is heading heavenward from their sight, two angels, or it says two men dressed in white. Had to be angels, right? As they're there, uh, they say to these disciples, quit looking up in the sky. 
I'm not sure, but I can just imagine the conversation these two angels were having as they received this assignment from God. What? You want us to go talk to the disciples? You mean that ragtag group of disciples that have been doing all kinds of things and things that they shouldn't have done and things that they should have done maybe a little better? Lord, you know how they are, right? You remember that these are the same ones who kept you busy here lately with all of their internal squabbles, their betrayal of Jesus and of one another, their cowardice, and that one disciple who demanded to actually touch the spear-scarred side of Jesus and demanded to place his hands in the scars in his hands from the nails. I mean, that, that disciple was just way out there. He was beyond what Jesus could help. Okay, God, we will tell them. But how could they still not get it? Okay, yes, Lord, we will tell them to quit looking in the wrong place and to get back to work. And so they did. They told them to get back to work. <coughs> Carrie Weeks shared... You, it scared you, didn't I? <laughs> Carrie Weeks shared with me this week an article about someone who was also looking for Jesus in the wrong places. And according to a report on KSLA News 12 this past week, this man sees the face of Jesus in his air conditioner. <laughs> I just like the mattress, you know? <laughs> What's the mattress doing there? Anyway, Christopher Goldsberry just bought the unit from a friend who he describes as a modern-day Sanford and Son type junk dealer. I mean, top-of-the-line junk dealer. The friend had just bought a trailer full of stuff and Goldsberry was looking over the hall when he spotted the face on an old rusty AC unit. Do you see it there? It's one of those things you kind of look at and never see or maybe you look at it and that's all you can see. Keep looking. When I saw that, I was taken aback. He says, I knew who that was immediately. So I had to take a picture to send to my girlfriend. I'm sure she was much impressed. <laughs> Goldsberry said he couldn't let the peculiar find go, so he bought the unit for $10. What he finds truly amazing is that the man he bought the unit from did not recognize the face of Jesus in the rust. Goldsberry said he is Catholic, but he does not attend church regularly. He is wondering why what is so clear to him is invisible to others. As we hear this account of the disciples missing what should have been most obvious to them, we too can wonder how they missed what Jesus wanted them to see so clearly. What should have been so apparent to them seemed to be invisible, standing right in front of them and then ascending up into heaven. They were busy gazing at the ascending feet of Jesus rather than remembering how He had commissioned their feet to continue walking as He walked in this world. They were so busy looking for Jesus to come back down and do what He always did that they neglected to see what He had already done in and for them. How could they be so blind to what Jesus wanted them to see? I think we know the answer to our question here. Wouldn't we have been doing the same thing? Bless you. Can't you see yourself 
in one of these disciples today? I mean, as you look there, maybe you see your face. Maybe you see your attitude. Maybe you see your question. I can just hear our question today. Yes, we understand that you entered our world as the Son of God, that you came to fulfill the law and the prophets, that you overcame hate and injustice with your love, that you came that we might have life and have it to the full, that you are the water of life, you are the good shepherd, the way and the truth and the life, that you died but were resurrected on the third day. But when will you be back to fix this world? When will you be back to restore this place to the way that you want it to be? When will you come and do your thing? Jesus must look at us much as he did to the disciples that day, wondering why we still don't get it, reminding us that the answer to the question is us, that we are the ones for our time who are to be the restoration of God's kingdom in this world. Amen? Amen. The church of today spends a lot of time looking in the wrong direction for restoration, doesn't it? Complaining about how our world is falling apart and how crime is taking over our world and all kinds of terrible things are happening, and that's true, they are. We ultimately throw our hands up caring no more about the problems in our world as we remind ourselves that we will soon evacuate earth and we will fly away to be with Jesus. And we often sing that song, I'll fly away. And, Be- and Bill, that's not a bad song to sing. It's a, it's a good song. But that's how we think about our world. I'm ready to go, Jesus. Take me away from here, Jesus. I need to go. This place has nothing for me. While gazing upward in this way, Jesus reminds us that we are to be witnesses for Him right here in our Jerusalem, in our Judea, our Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of our world. So what are we to be doing then? How do you and I become witnesses for Jesus in our world? How do we bring about God's kingdom reality in our messy, chaotic world? What does being a witness even look like anymore? Does it mean we go two by two to knock on doors around us? Does it mean that we pass out pamphlets in the park or that we go on on TV and get our own religious channel of some sort? Perhaps looking at our own neighborhood here around the Highland Center is the best place to start. If God sent us two messengers here today to correct our gaze, I think they would point to our neighborhood. This, they would say, is your Jerusalem. Begin right here, because there's so much work for you to do right here. I think they would say, take a look at your schools. We can be witnesses for Jesus in addressing educational inadequacies and challenges in the schools around us. We can help find solutions for the good of these schools and the children who attend them, can't we? Maybe as we go throughout this summer and prepare for another school year, we could spend more time thinking about our schools and what we can do to make a difference in them. I'm pretty sure these two messengers would also have us look at the poverty in our neighborhood. They would have us not only look at it, 
but to become creative and wise in devising ways to deal with the systems and the issues that cause and perpetuate poverty. We could give handouts uh, out to people all day long, every day, but that would not be enough. We do need to help people and provide assistance, but we need to go much farther than that and deal with the problems at the core of our society and in our neighborhoods that are causing these problems. Looking down instead of up will help us see the problem of racism that still exists today. Some people say, well, there's really not a racism problem today. Have you ever heard somebody say that? I'll guarantee you it was someone who was white saying that, right? No, we still have racism. Racism is still alive and going right here in our own community, even in our own neighborhood. As we see how blacks and whites are still segregated and unequal in too many ways. We can be witnesses for Jesus by confronting racism and discrimination. We have discrimination of all kinds, discrimination based on the color of skin or on someone's sexual orientation or on someone's political party or based on where someone lives or goes to school or what kind of car they drive. We love to discriminate, but we could confront all of that with the love of inclusion Jesus always demonstrated. Tell me a time when he didn't. Our two messengers would remind us of how we can be witnesses for Jesus by living out and sharing the good news of Jesus to a world around us that is so ready to hear it. How many people around you would love to know that they're forgiven? How many of them would love to know that, that reconciliation exists for them, not only between them and their God, but between them and their families and their friends and other people around them. It is there for us as well. The list of how we could be witnesses can go on and on, especially when we think of how it is to extend well beyond our own neighborhood and to go to the rest of the world. None of it will happen here or there, though, if we stay in here, gazing upward and waiting for something to happen. It will happen as we go, as we look, and as we become the body of Christ. Amen.